0: Hello and welcome to HBC's M5 Podcast, where we talk about our mission, ministries, yesterday's message, music, and even questions that are on your mind. I'm your host, John Wilson. I'm here, as always, with our pastor, Aaron Wallace, and our wonderful sound engineer, Becca Smith. And we're excited for the first uh, round of this podcast and for you guys to get to hear directly from Aaron. So, Aaron, say hey to the folks at home.
1: Hello, everybody. It's good to talk to you.
0: So one of the things that we want to be sure that we do is spend some time uh, when we get this time with you guys each week to to talk about things that we just can't spend time on uh, in a service. There's never enough time to talk about um, all the things that are important uh, for this church to focus on, and one of those is our, is our mission. You guys have been seeing uh, us commissioning partnership after partnership to head out over the summer, and right now we have Moldova and the Philippines gone. And so we wanted to spend just a minute giving you a little backstory about both of those partnerships, because both of those have been a long-term uh, investment for us as a church. It's been a, a huge part of uh, who we've been over the last seven, eight years is sending uh, folks to these partnerships. And I wasn't here personally, Aaron, when, uh, when we started Moldova. So I thought I would let you give us a little bit of the background of, of how we got involved in Moldova, what that's meant to be partnered there all these years, and uh, t- tell us a little bit about it.
1: Moldova has been an amazing partnership for us. We started that partnership through the State Convention of North Carolina. Uh, Steve Johnson and I uh, both were fortunate to go on what they called a vision trip. Uh, gosh, I don't even know what year it was. It's been many, many years. And uh, when we went on that vision trip, we traveled across uh, Ukraine, across Moldova. We met with pastors in all areas of the, the country there, both in the north, south, everybody in the middle. And we got to hear their hearts about ministry. We got to hear their hearts about discipleship and church planting. And when we got to North Moldova, we came across a gentleman named Pastor Peter. And Pastor uh, Peter was an amazing uh, visionary. Uh, he was a man who basically had uh, started 17 different churches over, gosh, probably 10 years uh, since uh, the, the communist bloc kind of fell. And they began to see the gospel spread in places like Moldova. Um, He was one of the gentlemen that just had a a heart for discipleship, a heart for church planting. And back in our uh, kind of vision back then, we really didn't have an understanding of what church planting looked like. And I I really wanted the church to see and understand church planting. And I thought the best way for that to happen is to go on the mission field and see how God is moving around the world. So we met Peter and Peter said, yes, we need partners. Uh, Most of what they needed were that, uh, asked two things of us. They wanted us to do church uh, revitalization with them some, and the fact of helping and, and sharing with pastors there locally, uh, just helping give vision to uh, ministry in those churches. Uh, but also, they wanted us to do medical clinics. They wanted us to do sports camps. And uh, so those kind of became the the three things that, that we've really done while we've been there, is working with local pastors, uh, sports camps. Uh, sports camp was the first thing Uh, that we honestly, uh, I think, really gelled with our church. Uh, We took a team of young people. It wasn't just, uh, you know, it wasn't just, you know, what you would typically think about missions. We wanted to find a way to get our students on board and to get our college and our uh, teenagers uh, out of the seats overseas to see what God's doing around the world. And so this sports camp became a very important part of that ministry. It allowed the churches in Moldova and Ukraine to reach out to the students in those communities. Most of the kids that came to this camp, they absolutely were students that had never heard the gospel. They were coming out of the cities, being uh, brought out into the country uh, to do these camps. And so we were getting to share the gospel with them. The students that go on these camps, uh, it's really amazing, John, because they get uh, to cut their teeth in leadership, just like they lead Jam Camp here for us. When they go overseas, they really have an opportunity to even take it a step further, not just kind of, you know, here they may be leading the groups of the kids. When they get over there, they're getting to not just lead those students uh, uh, in the way that they do at Hephzibah, but they get to lead in Bible study. They get to lead in in preaching. Uh, These students, for the first time, many of them get to cut their teeth on letting the Holy Spirit uh, really speak through them directly to the hearts of these teenagers around the world. And every time that we go on that partnership with the— uh, the the camps, we see many, many uh, young people come to Christ. Sometimes as many as 20, 30 students come to Christ every time that we're on that trip. And the amazing thing is we get to go back again. And that's one thing we love about it is the continuing uh, growth. We see many of these students uh, baptized. We get pictures through the middle of the year. But the cool thing is we go back, and over the years, we've seen some of these students called into ministry. And the students that have been saved have now been the students that have been sent out through Ukraine and Moldova. And so it's an amazing, amazing partnership.
0: Yeah, you touched on two things that I think are incredibly important because on the one hand, what we want to do through missions, opportunities at Hepzibah is we want to train and equip Christ followers to fulfill the Great Commission. And that starts with like our students seeing what's possible um, when they put their yes on the line and they say, "Yeah, I'll go where the Lord is calling me," and I may do some things that I don't get to do at home, and I may be uncomfortable, uh, but I'm going to see how He's going to use me through that. And so they're they're equipped in this process. And then the other aspect is that we want to be part of churches that want to be that want to make disciples. And one of the things that struck me that you said about Moldova is that they were already making disciples; they already had a heart for discipleship before we really ever engaged in partnership with them. And then we just we just want to be the catalyst to that, right? Like if we want to be in places where people have a heart to make disciples and they have a plan to make disciples and they're doing it, uh, and if we can just come alongside and, and work with them over the months and years uh, to help them do that more effectively, then that's I think that's the mission's gold for us.
1: Yeah, missions ultimately is about them carrying out the other 300 64 days a year. You know, we may be in a village one day to do a a medical clinic, uh, and those teams do an amazing job. We get to share the gospel. Uh, Many times it's the first time they're meeting the pastors uh, there in Moldova. Obviously, it's the first time they're meeting the doctors and and our team, but we go, and those clinics are just an opening of a door, and the real work begins after we leave. Uh, Sometimes people are led to the Lord uh, in those clinics, and we go back to the U.S., and it's important that these pastors there on the ground continue the work that that's there. And almost every time that we go and do medical clinics, it's amazing. We go the first year, there's no church. We go the second year, there's a church. And so um, it's that continuing work in the heart of those pastors and leaders in Moldova that makes all the difference. And so that's what we're always looking for in these partnerships. We're not looking to go carry the weight of a country or a people group. We are looking for where God has opened up doors and leaders and uh, folks that have vision, and we just pour fuel on it and help them Uh, Really, I guess the way that I've always put it to to Peter out there in Moldova is, you know, we want you to have the dream and the vision that God has laid on your heart, and we want you to tell us how we can come and pour fuel on it and assist you in seeing uh, come to fruition all those things that God's given to you.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think that's really the story behind so many of our missions partnerships is we've just, you know, heard a call from the Lord. He's brought an opportunity, uh, and we just walk into it, and you know, say yes at uh, at every turn. And it's amazing the things that that's brought to us. I think that's a lot of the story with uh, the Philippines. Many of the folks uh, listening might not know that one of our own members, Dan Henley, is really the reason that we got involved in the Philippines to start with. He grew up there. He had moved back to the U.S., had a family. Uh, and then when Hurricane Haiyan hit, uh, he just had a burden from the Lord to go back to this place that um, that he had swore he'd never go back to. And so he asked us to come along and see, and we, we took some trips around the country. And one thing led to another, and, and that's really the reason that we have three different people that we're partnered with in the Philippines. We have a group of pastors that the team is working with right now in the central Philippines to put on this youth camp. And this will be, I believe, the sixth uh, annual youth camp that we've done with them. We have uh, 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 IMB personnel who is focused on tribal people groups up in the northern part of the Philippines and engaging tribals to reach tribals in the central Philippines. And then we have our, our partners in the southern Philippines who we work closely with who are engaged in, in Muslim people groups. And all of that has just come from this one opportunity to, to just say yes to something or to say even maybe I don't know if the answer is yes, but let's just see. Uh, what the Lord is doing, and then He has brought all of these other partnerships that we've been engaged with for years and years and years, seeing disciples made not just once and you leave, but seeing that growth that happens over time, year after year after year, in all of these different places.
1: Yeah, I think you stood with me on the bridge where uh, Dan Henley, uh, Dan's a good example of don't ever tell the Lord what you're not going to do. He took us to the place where he stood on a bridge. His parents were missionaries, And uh, just growing up, he'd gotten to the place where he just felt like, listen, I want to go back to the U.S. I'm done with this kind of a work. And to see that, you know, he took us there and said, this is the place I stood and told God, I will never come back here. And yet God laid on his heart uh, those people again. And all these years later, you see him continuing to have a heart for the people of the Philippines. And we got to be part of that story. I mean, he basically just invited us over and said, we want you to see the people, we want you to see the work uh, that's being done there, and once we got to Central Philippines, we got to meet a lot of different pastors. One of them was Pastor Jeremiah, and he's the one who has helped us build these uh, camps. Uh, Again, another pastor with a vision, with a heart to reach students in the Central Philippines, uh, in the Legaspi area, the Maspati area. And so it's just been amazing to see how uh, he has not just had the vision himself, but he's put other pastors around them, and uh, together as a group of pastors, they bring in hundreds of students every year, and we get to go lead camp very similar to the way we do in in Moldova, just a lot hotter in the Philippines, and uh, there's no language barrier there. So if you're looking for a trip that you can go and speak to the people without translation, the Philippines is actually a great trip because all these students speak great English. And we get to really minister and get to know them. There's hundreds of them there every year. And again, many, many come to Christ. And uh, it gives these churches a great opportunity to disciple the young people in their communities.
0: Yeah, I I think one of the things that you said that's so interesting that I've... And and as we kind of maybe move on in, in our morning and start talking about some of the other opportunities that are in front of us, I just want to highlight how many of the places... It's not true everywhere, but how many of the places that we go that language is really not a barrier anymore. And, you know, people would say, well, I don't know if I can go to that place. I don't know that I can speak the language and communicate with them. And and the Lord has ordained it so that so many of the people in the world have some understanding of English. Again, it's not true everywhere, but there's a lot of places that we go that it just is such a surprise that you're able to just communicate in English um, and, and what's needed is not always the ability to speak a foreign language. It's just a willingness to go, and it's a willingness to uh, come with the gospel on your lips and be ready to proclaim it, um, and, and the Lord has a way of taking care of the rest of the details, whether it's through translators or whether it's through, surprisingly, an audience that, that understands English uh, when, you, when you didn't expect it at all. So,
1: Yeah, well, we were made for this. We were made to be on mission, and if we'll just say yes to the Lord, He will provide everything that we need. I do... Uh, love the fact that when we go many of these places, it's the young people. Uh, it's those that are usually, you know, 20 and down. Uh, we find more and more in these places they speak great English because of the education systems. are teaching them English, and so it gives us a, a very good open door to the young people in all of these communities. And we know that they're going to be the leaders. We know that they're going to be the ones to raise up their own families. And if we can win them to Christ young, it can really make a difference in all of these places.
0: Yeah, and, and that's a great transition because coming up on uh, this Sunday, right, We you've mentioned from the pulpit we have a special called Business Meeting to talk about uh, the, the ask that's before the church to create this uh, new position that would allow us to focus on leadership development and thinking of not just the young people, but all of the people that are in the church that uh, could really benefit from some leadership development if we're going to continue on this uh twenty churches in twenty years strategy. And and, and a quick aside, I, I got a chance to take the team uh that was going to Moldova to DC and Hannah and the kids and I got to spend a few days in DC and I was I was really struck by just the the dedication and the persistence and just the fortitude that it takes to accomplish something like the things that we've accomplished as a country and and you really see that everywhere and one of the places i saw that the most was in uh the the space museum right and they've got this exhibit for the wright brothers and i stood in there forever and just looked around and i thought about what does it mean uh to 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 do something that nobody has ever done before. And what does it take in a person to do that? And one of the things that happened is they've got some quotes that flash by on the room in there. And one of them that came up, I had to sit, I was sat for 10 minutes and waited for it to come back to take a picture of it so that I could have it again. And it was a quote uh, from the New York Herald about the Wright brothers. And it said, uh, the Wright brothers have either flown or they haven't. They either have this machine or they don't. They are either flyers or they are liars. It is difficult to fly it's very easy to say we have flown. And I I really was just struck by, as we think about something like this leadership you know, development position, this position that would be focused on all this work from church planning, it's easy to say we want to plant churches. It's hard to plant churches. Uh, and, and it requires us to have dedication and persistence, and it requires us to apply ourselves and to sacrifice other things to be able to do that. So maybe just a minute on why this is important, why it's needed now, um, and at this particular season and, um, and what folks can expect when they show up on Sunday.
1: Well, I think in terms of legacy, John, I mean, if we're going to leave a legacy that, that goes on and outlives us, I mean, think about it as parents or our children are our legacy, our grandchildren are our legacy. And, uh, it's not enough to be able to say, Hey, Hey, Hepzibah's 215 years old and has been in this community all this time. The reality is there may be a day Hepsibah won't be here, but hopefully the churches that she has planted, every church goes through life cycles, and it's important that we continue to plant. And part of planting is raising up leaders. You know, there's a strategy for us here at at Hepzibah Is is, you know, we want to you know, be able to find the right leaders and put them in the right places and the right positions. We want to be sure that they are trained properly uh, and that they're developed so that they can be sent out. And so when we look at uh, this idea, um, you know, it's amazing. We've been able to plant, you know, Shine and Bridgepoint, and we've seen this work that's gone on in Molde- or, um, over in Middlesex. And, you know, we've, we've taken over 180 people in our church and sent them out into ministry, out of Hepzibah, into new works. And the reality is that as we continue to do that, we've got to continue to raise up new leaders. Um, and the rate at which we've been able to plant, the, the rate at which we've been able to see our partnerships multiply in mission, it is going to demand of us that uh, we have a way to, to teach our people, to train our people, because every time we send out, we're, we're having to raise up new connect leaders. We're having to raise up new musicians. We're having, I mean, whatever it is uh, that uh, is needed in this church, we're seeing this this turnover of leadership because of our sending capacity. So how do we keep them trained? How do we keep them developed? You know, in the past, we've had layers of leadership. We've sent out so many people now that uh, we've kind of cut some of those layers away. They're already out on the field. Now we've got to raise up new ones. And and I think that is why this is so urgent for us, is we've seen that we've gotten to a place where, you know, I I think we're at the place where if we don't uh, strategically put in place a strategy, a plan uh, for residency, a plan for how do we equip all of our leaders across the board, uh, it's not going to happen. We're not going to be able to keep the pace that we've been going. And so I think what we need is a very focused institute, uh, whether that be uh, for the average person that that may be sitting in our pews that, that sees, hey, I want to be used of the Lord. I have a gift of teaching. I want to hone that gift. We want to be able to help that person, but also the person that says, listen, I'm ready to plant a church. I'm ready to go on the mission field. How do we get them from the pew into ministry, onto the mission field, uh, we need a strategy, and we found that you know we don't have enough margin. You and I, or, or even the other pastors that are on staff, the reality is for this to be built, it's going to take someone focused, uh, week in and week out, hours given to the development of these courses, the development of uh, this strategy, and uh, it, it. We just we desperately need this position.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think what if you think about where we've been so far, what we've learned is you know one. God is faithful. He, he There are leaders that are there that are waiting. There are leaders, some that are ready and waiting for somebody to step out of the way so that they can lead, and there are others that are waiting to be developed. So we know that the Lord is faithful to be calling people and to be raising them up. And we also know that we have a great discipleship process in our D groups and in our connect groups because we're seeing the leaders that come out of that. What we're recognizing, right, is that there's just a gap between coming out of a D group and having grown spiritually and recognize the Lord's call on on your life and, and seeing God raise up that, that desire in people and then actually equipping them to be able to go and do the thing that he's raising them up to do. And that's, I think that's the part that you're talking about that we're, uh, that we're sort of missing right now and that we need to intentionally focus on if we're going to be successful over the next 20 years and in planting these churches and beyond really, quite frankly, what, what happens after 20 years from now is really, uh, is really the magic. This is just the, the so twenty years is honestly the short-term vision. The short-term vision is twenty churches in twenty years. Uh, the harvest that comes from that is uh, is what's going to carry us forward. So,
1: yeah, and and you know, when the next twenty years comes along, you're talking, you're going from twenty churches in twenty years, in forty years, that becomes over six hundred churches. Yeah, and just the thought of seeing these churches reproduce, the thought of seeing this many churches planted in our community, in our state in our country, around the world, I think that uh, God is just going to continue to use this model, but it's going to be contingent on raising up leaders, making disciples. I think that's the beauty of where Hephzibah is right now, is that we've recognized, I think what many churches don't recognize is that God has given us everything that we need right now in our church. We don't have to go outside to find it. We don't have to, you know, hope that someone comes. The reality is that this is His church And He has given us the evangelists. He has given us, uh, you know, those who are going to be preachers and teachers. And He's given us those with every stripe and every spiritual gift and everything that's needed for us to accomplish all of our goals. Uh, They're sitting right there in front of us. How do we develop them?
0: Yeah, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, I hadn't thought about this before now, but just listening to you say that, in a lot of ways, it's like the parable of the talents, right? Like, it's not just financially. It's what are we going to do with the people that the Lord is bringing us? Because He is. Are, are we going to just bury them in the sand? Are we going to stick them in a position and just uh, leave them there? Or are we going to develop them and turn them into something and send them back out into the world to accomplish the mission that he has given us? Or are we just going to hold them to ourselves? And I think you're right. This is the sort of next step in uh, in doing that in a really strategic, planful way and not just hoping into leadership develop it.
1: Yeah. So my encouragement, get out here on the 16th. That's this Sunday uh, following second service, we're going to have that business meeting uh, where we hopefully will have the opportunity to approve this position and uh, begin this great work, and we need everybody here. Uh, again, this is, the you know, Hepsiba is all of us together. It's not the staff. It's not the leadership of the church alone. Every member of our church is a minister in this great work, and we want to do this together, so we hope that you'll come out and be part of this planning and this process.
0: So moving on to yesterday's message, I wanted to, I mean, this is a part of the podcast each week. We want to spend some time digging into the message and maybe covering some of the things that you don't get to cover in detail or drawing out some of the specific points that um, that are just really fantastic and that, you know, 40 minutes on a Sunday morning doesn't always allow us the time to cover. Uh, one of the things as I was just thinking about yesterday's message that struck me is you, you talked about this idea of, of logos, right? And, and and I think any anybody that's been in church circles has some understanding of what the word means, but you really drew out the fact that um, that it had a broader meaning to the culture, right? It wasn't a word that was chosen because we understand, you know, what God's word is. It's a word that the Holy Spirit inspired so that the rest of the world would know uh, the the revelation from God of His word. And so, talk talk about that for a second, because I thought that was just a really fantastic point, and and I and I want people to see. Uh, even in the very beginning of the book of John, God's desire to uh, to not just reach His people that He's been calling the people of Israel all throughout the Bible, but uh, that Christ had come for, for everybody and to reach all over the world at that particular point in time.
1: Yeah, I think the reality that we have to grasp is that God is revealing Himself. You know, this isn't some cosmic game of hide and seek, and He's hiding, and we have to find Him. The reality is, he's seeking us, right? And and he is revealing himself, and it's the picture of all of Scripture. I think that's why the Jews were were so familiar with it, is they understood this progressive revelation of God. They understood that the more and more they walked with him, the more he revealed himself and his purposes and his plans. And and you know, for him to love the world enough to to meet them where they were, I think that's what John one screams to us when you think about that Logos is, is they were wondering who is this creator, you know, is you know, is he an impersonal being, is he uh, a non-personal being, does he see us, does he care, and, and how did this come to be? You know, people are searching, people are asking questions, people are desiring, I think, in the very depth of their being to know, is there a God? Why was I created? And for him to come and meet them on that level, for, for him to come and, and for John to be able to speak those words that this logos, this word that you have been contemplating, dreaming of, thinking about, writing about. He's here. He's in the person of Jesus Christ. That if you want to know God, the full revelation of God, we have been given His Son. And, you know, it it just reminds us of the missional heart of God, the love of God, and uh, His desire to be known.
0: And, and he's faithful, I think, is, is the other point, is he's faithful to, uh, to be there to reveal himself to people that are seeking him. And I think that was the other thing that I, as I was thinking about what you had to say about that, is that there's such a difference that we feel in uh, maybe our world today than uh, even a couple of hundred years ago where people were actively at least wondering, who is this God? Who is this person who has created me? How did I come to be here? For what purpose do I exist um, and it seems like lately we've given up on this idea, right? We've just assumed that we exist for no reason at all or only to find pleasure in my life. And uh, and apart from people that are in Christ, the majority of the population seems to be thinking, you know, I, I have no interest in seeking God. Like that, that word doesn't really apply to them anymore because they're not wondering who is this God that is out here that has created everything. What, what, do, you, what do you have to say to that thought? Um, and, you know, just thinking about... Um, what well, we see all over the world that as people do start to recognize that I'm not here by accident that there has to be something greater than me as they start to seek God he is he is faithful to reveal himself still
1: yeah i and and i believe that part of it is all they've heard is untruth hmm. you know the church can't remain silent the church can't sit back and hope that the world comes to understand and and know who God is you know darkness prevails when there's an absence of light and so when Jesus comes and says listen i am the light right? Uh, He says that, you know, in him was life, and this life uh, was the light to all men. Uh, You know, I think that's a calling for us to take that light, to take the gospel into the world, and people will become hungry to know these things. I think we think that people aren't hungry. I think we think that they don't want answers, but they lay down their head on a pillow at night, and I guarantee you they question these things. They're thinking about these things um, but they don't know where to find answers, and they don't realize that there is truth and that there's hope in the gospel and hope in the Word of God. And so we've got to be faithful to take that to them. And and it again, it's progressive. It's one of those things where it takes us building a relationship with them. Most evangelism that's going to be effective is when we invest in the lives of people. They can see uh, the Word of God being lived out in us, and they hear us share this truth that has changed our lives. And, and so I don't think it's an issue of people don't want hope, or people don't want to, uh, to know God, or, or even uh, that they don't think about God. I just think that the, the darkness has so, in many ways, infiltrated our culture uh, because the church has been silent. Once light is introduced, uh, it tells us that uh, the darkness can't overcome it. And so we've just got to be faithful and bold and believe with all of our hearts that when the gospel goes forth, uh, it works in the hearts of men, that the Spirit will use that word uh, to transform lives.
0: Yeah, and and I think what you said is so appropriate, right? Because people aren't going to wonder about that unless we have a connection with them, unless we're in a relationship with them and they can see that in our lives and they can recognize the things that are that are different because we're followers of Christ. That doesn't look like the hopelessness the rest of the world has. Right. I think that I think you're right. People want hope. They they you know, when we're denying a God, we're denying a God that we recognize exists and yet we're consciously making a choice to deny his existence. That's what scripture tells us. And so when they see that in somebody around them, it makes it that much harder to deny it. And it starts to make them wonder, "What? what is it that is different about this person? And that's where we can come and have those gospel conversations. Many of us who aren't having gospel conversations, I'd have to ask, is it because we don't have relationships to have them based off of? It's, it's one of a couple things. One, we're not praying and asking for God to give us gospel conversations because I believe he's faithful to do that if we'll pray that, but two, are we invested in people's lives in such a way that it's natural for them to want to ask us about what it is that we believe because they see that there's something different about us.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the, the things that really is on my heart the heaviest about even where Hepsiba is. Um, we're great at doing mission around the world. We we put so much focus on church planting, but there is a part of the ministry that we have to have here that that we've got to understand that, that the greatest thing we can do is get outside these four walls Get into Window, Nightdale, Zebulon. Build relationships with people. You've got to get to know your neighbors. You've got to care for the people that you see week in and week out, whether it's the waitress, whether it's the person that's working as a cashier, whether it's the person that you're doing banking with. We have to leverage relationships. And, and realize this one simple fact. The greatest ministry mission opportunity exists at our dinner table. If we would just bring people into our homes, if we would just befriend the folks that are around us. And I mean, we need to look, and it doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter what they're struggling with, it doesn't matter the journey that they've been on, we need to love them, and we need to be concerned about them the way that we see in the Gospels. What we're going to see in the book of John is that Jesus kept going to the outcast. He kept going to the people that everybody else said was a lost cause. If that would be our heart, in this community, that let listen, there's going to be no barrier, no boundary that I won't cross to build a relationship, to bring them into my life, into my home, so that I can show them the love of God, and and then share with them the love of God and talk about this God who is love. That's going to make all the difference and the biggest impact. So we we as a church have got to get that in our heads that we are on mission every single week. We don't need passports. We don't need a lot of money to do it. All we need is to open our door invite people into our dining room and and build friendships and relationships that will result in transformation.
0: Yeah, it's it's so interesting because one of the ways that you introduced John was by talking about what John says at the end of the book, right, in John twenty, thirty one, where he says, But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And and John gives us the purpose for his book, but you know, in what you're saying, like I wonder is that the purpose for our relationships? Is that the purpose for uh, what we do on a day-to-day basis? Is that the purpose for why I'm compassionate with people around them, that people might believe and that they might have life in his name? Like th- That should be what motivates everything that we do, not just John's writing of this book, but also every relationship that we strike up, every conversation that we have.
1: Yeah, everything that we do should be a doorway to that conversation, Because uh, the truth is, we don't want to just make cookies for people. We don't want to just, you know, implant gardens at schools. We don't just want to go do these many things that may be a door to relationship, but fail to build the relationship. You know, those are meant to be the entryways into uh, sharing the gospel with people. So whatever we're doing at Hepzibah, whatever we're doing uh, in ministry, it has to end in the sharing of the gospel. Otherwise, we haven't gone far enough. We can visit people. We can do a million different things in the way that we try to care for people, but what if we meet a need like we solve their hunger, but they're still destined for an eternity in hell? Then then what have we really accomplished? We've given them a full stomach but left them with an empty heart, and and that's not uh, what Christ calls us to, and we've really got to get back to that place where it's personal evangelism. It is every member of our church being a sole winner and recognizing that I am on mission for the Lord, whether here or overseas, every day I've got to be committed to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, I think that's so true. And I, and I think one of the things that has become clear to me over the last several years is that the impact that we'll make in Wendell will not be because of you, you know, preaching on a stage as wonderful as your preaching and exegesis of the text is. It will be because of every single person desiring to make disciples in their lives, and that's Wendell, that's Nightdale, that's Zebulun, that's our country, uh, that's all across the world. It happens when individual people uh, are transformed by the gospel and they want to see others transformed, and they make it a point to do that as part of their lives. That's what uh, ignites change. It's, it is not packing people into a building and letting them hear a powerful message or inviting them to church as, as good as that is. Please invite your friends to church. We want you to invite your friends to church. More than that, we want you to tell them uh, the truth that you've come to believe that's transformed your life so that they could be transformed too. Yeah,
1: if this church explodes, it will be because of what happens in the home, not what happens on this campus and in these
0: four walls. So one of the ways that we want to end this podcast each week is that we want to just take questions uh, from the audience. What's on their mind after they listen to Sunday's sermon? So uh, in our sermon notes, there was a link to uh, submit questions. Also in this podcast is a link uh, for you to drop us your questions. And every week we're going to take questions from the audience. And uh, this first week we had one question that came in and uh, it was regarding John 1, 4 that you preached on on Sunday, where it says in him was life and life was the light of men, and I think we're already all over this topic, but the, the person that submitted the question wants to know, what are some ways that I can allow Jesus to be life and light in my life? Uh, so we, we've talked about a little bit of it, but what would you say is a pointed answer to that? What, what do we
1: do? Well, I think the most pointed answer is surrender. You know, we have to die so that He can live. We, we've got to empty ourselves so that He can fill us, and uh, when we allow ourselves to walk with Jesus, He's going to bring life to us. He's going to bring spiritual Life, spiritual health. Remember when we said that He brings life. He wasn't just talking about physical life; He's talking about spiritual life. And it's that story where where Jesus talked to Nicodemus, and He said, "We're born again," and it's a work that happens in the heart. The closer we are to Jesus, the more we hear His word, and the more we walk with Him, uh, we begin to to be transformed, and we become more and more like Jesus Christ. And there's this life that happens. I think that's the paradox of Scripture: when we die. Uh, just like the seed that's planted in the ground, until it dies, it cannot grow. And that was true of Jesus and the salvation that he brought to us. But I think in many ways, when we even personalize that salvation, it's the dying of ourself uh, so that Christ can live and move through us. Um, And I think as far as the light is involved, you know, I think it's just realizing and remembering uh, that Jesus Christ will show us how to live. Jesus Christ will show us um, you, know, you know, we have a choice in this life. We will live by our feelings and we will live by, uh, you know, our emotions or, and, and maybe even facts, or we'll live by faith, right? And, and Jesus shows us um, how to live by faith. He shows us that he's the object of our faith. And when we allow him to, to lead us and to rule us, Uh, I think what we find is that He illuminates the path. He shows us uh, what pleases the Father, what displeases the Father. He gives us calling. He gives us purpose. Um, He takes the chaos of our life, and He brings order back to it. And so I think it's just daily getting before the Lord and saying, illuminate, you know, show me the truth. Show me what is right. Show me what is good. Show me what is holy. Let me see you. Let me understand the truth of who you are and who I am and why you saved me and 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 Lord, I'm here. I think that's a, a huge piece of the puzzle.
0: Yeah, I think one of the wonderful connections for me going from Malachi to John is the way that we ended Malachi, right, was this picture of uh, us as believers going out like calves from the stall, just leaping. And I, and I, for a week, I got to just sit on this and just like wonder, is this the picture of my life? Is that type of joy the picture of my life, and then we then we turn over and we start in John, and and we recognize, and we will through the book of John, that the difference in John is that Christ is sufficient for everything. That is all we need, and that is where our joy comes from, and so I think to the point of, uh, of this question, right, that is where life comes from. That is where joy comes from. If we're telling people that the difference that they can make in their life uh, with their neighbors is in relationship, well, it has to start with their relationship with Christ, their focus on Him and Him being enough. Uh, and that bubbles over into joy in the rest of their life and something that's contagious to uh, to the people that are around us. And so uh, it's, it's a huge challenge, but I think something super exciting for us to get to explore as we work our way through John.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about this book. So I hope not only will you guys be here uh, that are members of Hepsibug, get your neighbors here, get your friends here, because this is a great book for them to truly come to understand who Jesus is and what He's done, and uh, for them to hear the gospel, and it gives you the chance to go out and live it.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time, Aaron. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, We do want you to write in your questions. Use the link in the podcast. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe, because we're going to be here every single week uh, diving into the message and the ministries and your own questions and things that are on you guys' minds. So until next time, it's Aaron and John signing off. It's good to be with you all.